0: Chad and Jay Mansbridge here, lead pastors of Bayside Church International, based here on the south coast of South Australia.
1: Our great passion as a church is to help people to know Jesus and to demonstrate his love, truth and life in everything that we do. We hope you enjoyed today's message. You're more than welcome to join us, we're glad to have you here. It's a very special day. It's a special day, yeah. The... uh, Our spring series, and it feels like the end of spring today, I think uh, Jake's right there, Uh, our spring preaching series uh, that we've been looking at for the last couple of months has been called Heroes. We've been looking at biblical heroes and making the point that heroes come in all shapes and sizes and that every one of us as followers of Christ to some degree in some form and some shape as we all represent him are called to uh, be heroic in this life and no matter who you are no matter what vocation you are called to no matter what family environment you are in the great hero of heroes lives inside of you and it is his image that we are being conformed to as uh jake just shared but this morning i'd like to just make a quick mention of one subset of heroes in our church family today i got this idea a couple of weeks ago when uh jeff was talking about Uh, you know, the family at the start of the year who had a firefighter turn up to their home during the bushfires, that fiery was a hero to them and today I just want to acknowledge those of you who work in the care industry. If you're in nursing, if you're in Medicine. if you personally care for someone, it might be off the books because you're a personal carer at home, if you work in an elderly home or in any so- type of health uh, and with people people with disabilities, people that need care, extra care, and whether this has been your vocation, maybe you're tired now but you've given the best part of your life to that, maybe you've come into that in your older age looking after someone near to you in your home, or maybe this is a vocation you are stepping into and operating in now, would you stand this morning and we'd just really love to bless she was a church family who he works in the care industry two three beautiful thank you yes yes awesome thank you father today we thank you for these heroes in our midst and we bless them in jesus name and uh, continue to use them uh, in a mighty way i'm going to open uh with a psalm this morning i'm going to read not sing it and everybody said, "Amen." Amen. And uh, I'm going to read Psalm 116. Psalm 116. Uh, there's a series of psalms from uh, I think it's oh, I have to look at my notes for this 113 to 118 that are basically what they call Egyptian um, Egyptian Hallel. The word Hallel means praise. Hallelujah comes from that word. Okay, praise the Lord. Uh, and they these basically form a group of psalms that the Hebrew people would sing over Passover. So when you read the story of the Last Supper, and it says there, after, as they were sharing supper, they sung a hymn, and then they went out to the garden. These were the songs that they sung. They are about uh, God's redemption and and uh, taking people from Egypt, and the way that God brings life out of death, essentially. So this is one of those psalms here in verse 100, uh, chapter. Uh, psalm 116, it has connotations uh, of David, we don't know whether David wrote it but there's certainly a lot of uh, similarities between this psalm and some that we know belong to David and it says this, I am passionately in love with God because he listens to me, he hears my prayers and he answers them. As long as I live I'll keep praying to him for he stoops down to listen to my heart's cry. Death once stared me in the face and I was close to slipping into its dark shadows. I was terrified and overcome with sorrow. I cried out to the Lord, Lord come and save me! He was so kind, he was so gracious to me. Because of his passion toward me, he made everything right and he restored me. So I've learnt from my experience that God protects the childlike And humble ones for i was broken and brought low but he answered me and he came to my rescue now i can say both to myself and to all relax and rest be confident and serene for the lord rewards fully those who simply trust in him god has rescued my soul from death's fear and he has dried my eyes of many tears he has kept my feet firmly on his path and strengthened me so that i may please him and live my life before him in his life-giving light, even when it seems I'm surrounded by many liars and my own fears and though I'm hurting in my suffering and trauma, I still stay faithful to God and I speak words of faith. So now, what can I ever give back to God or repay him for the blessings he's poured out on me? I will lift up this cup of salvation and praise him extravagantly for all he's done for me. I will fulfill the promise I made to God in the presence of his gathered people." When one of God's holy lovers dies, it is costly to the Lord. In fact, it touches his heart. Lord, because I am your loving servant, you have broken open my life and you have freed me from change. Now I'll worship you passionately and bring to you my sacrifice of praise, drenched with thanksgiving. I'll keep my promise to you, God, in the presence of your gathered people, just like I said I would. I'll worship you here in your living presence, in the temple of Jerusalem. I'll worship and sing Hallelujah, hallelujah, for I praise you, Lord. Uh, that was a passion translation. I spoke a little bit about translations last week. More literal translations at the start of the, in verse, round about verse three, it talks about crying out to God because the cords of Sheol wanted to take me in. And Sheol is basically the, if you have a more literal Bible, it'll be there, it talks about the grave. And it's the Old Testament conception of what death was like, that death was like a, a big mouth that would swallow people, take them to a place of darkness, take them to a place of separation from life and uh, this concept was that the God, God's people would essentially await there until the time of resurrection and David and other psalmists as you read through the Old Testament those of you reading through the Old Testament with me this year will notice there are many occasions where God's people just like this psalm are like when I'm getting close to death I'm like I don't want to do that save me Lord save me save me save me there is this great reluctance and intrepidation about being cut off from the land of the living and yet what's profound is that by the time you come into the New Testament and you read the scriptures after Calvary The attitude of the biblical authors totally flips. Paul in fact says, to me to live is Christ and to die is gain because when I die I'm going to be with him. Paul didn't say, oh I want to stay away from death because it's a place of darkness, stillness and separation. No, he said actually dying is being with Christ. When Stephen, the first Christian that we see, well Ananias and Sapphira, we can debate that over lunch, but Stephen, in Acts 7, the first Christian to die, he's he's there getting stoned and people are pelting him with rocks and it says, he looks up and he says, I see heaven opened and there's Jesus right next to God. And people get furious about this for various theological reasons. But as he sees Jesus in heaven, he says, Lord, now that I'm about to die, Please, I receive my spirit. Welcome my spirit. Stephen was not afraid of the same thing that David was afraid of because after the cross, something radically changed. Heaven was open. Eternity, immortality, um, Timothy, Paul writes to Timothy, has been brought to light through the gospel and so we know that death, it was never the end of the story for God's old covenant people but it was never welcomed because it was doom, gloom and darkness and unfamiliarity and we don't really want to be there but in the New Testament something radically changed thanks to Jesus' work and so even Paul when at the end of his life in 2nd Timothy, he doesn't talk about the time of his death is about to come, he talks about the time of his departure He says, I know the time of my departure is about to come. And you know what? I'm going to take off this tent and I'll be with my Lord. Peter says the same thing. He says, my departure is at hand. The concept of dying was like, you know what? All I'm going to do is say farewell and I'm departing. Because those who believe in Christ, Jesus said, will never die. Physical death, well, let me read this quote from Spurgeon. Death, oh, because both Testaments, and that's why I read that psalm, it says that even though David or whoever wrote that psalm cried out, Lord, save me from death, he still was able to say this, precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. There's something precious about that. Spurgeon said, it is, death is precious because it removes the remaining barriers between God and his saints and is the doorway to an eternity of perfect fellowship death to the Saints is not a penalty it is not destruction it is not even a loss there's one thing the gospel shows us physical death is not the end of the story Immortal- immortality eternal life is a very real thing but one thing we do learn from the scriptures is that physical death is inevitable and it's not our greatest enemy relational death Is man's greatest enemy being cut off from a relationship with god and as much as we sometimes might get nervous about physical death it is not the greatest enemy man faces man faces the greater enemy of being dead relationally to god which is why ephesians says you were dead to god in sin but he has raised you to a new life in him we celebrated that new life today and that is the end of my sermon Some of you don't believe in the miraculous. (laughs) Less than 10 minutes. Nailed it. I'm taking off my preacher and Bible teacher hat now. And I'm going to put on my pastor hat. Today, I want to have a conversation with you. And it's a conversation about a significant issue. It's a conversation about a serious issue. It's a conversation about a somewhat sobering issue but it's not a sad issue and I want to talk today or have a conversation with you as a pastor about death and dying. I've done this a few times, you've seen stools like this on the stage before, earlier this year I interviewed the worship team and I asked them about worship um, Late last year I think it was, goodness all the years going in together, I sat down and interviewed Dr Ray, do you remember that? And Dr Ray spoke about some of the abuse of the family history he'd come from and some of the depression and stuff that he'd experienced of real-life issues. I've sat down in this stool before and interviewed Bronwyn and Kim about their marriage uh, their marriage ending and God raising that marriage, divorce from the dead. I've sat down on this stool before and years ago I interviewed Ricky. Some of you may remember him about his history before Christ in drugs and prostitution and prison. And we sat down and had a conversation where I was not a preacher, I was just a pastor Because as a church, we understand real life issues. We are the type of church that one week can have an incredible, swirly, worship, prophetic intercession time. And then the next week can have a sex therapist here talking about pornography. Uh, We can have strong prophetic gifts. And we can have people, uh, other people who are professionals in other areas. And today, I want to have a conversation like that with you. I want to speak to a subject that is a natural and inevitable part of life it is something that all of us will face it's something that all of us will negotiate our way through in our families many of us have had first-hand experience with this even recently i'm looking around this room and i understand that even within the last few weeks people in our family have uh, had to negotiate issues around the subject of death and dying it is a subject that many people devote their professional life to it is something that the Bible has much to say about, it is something that is personal, it's something that is societal and most importantly it is something that has eternal implications. So today I want to engage in a pastoral conversation and as I said while it's serious and sensitive and somewhat sobering, it's not going to be a sad day. I'm very much, if you know me, you know me to trust me, I want you to, I believe in, we're going to walk out of here today going, I'm glad I'm part of a church that is happy to talk about issues like that and I'm glad I was there today. Good. That being said, I, I leave a caveat like this at almost any serious conversation we have and I say, I don't know everyone here today and I don't know what type of rawness you might have come in with at this particular stage of your life or what's happened with you this week. And if you think what I've just said and engaging in a chat like this is just too much for you today, we're all going to close our eyes and pray. And you've got about thirty seconds to uh to find a more comfortable place if that is you. Okay? I know it's not going to be many, but I do just want to leave that out to you because we are going to have a good morning today as a family. We're in family mode today. Is that all right? Not the preacher now. I'm just Chad having a chat on a stool let's do it i'm going to sit down let's close our eyes and pray and commit our time to the lord today dad we're so grateful that you are the god of all eternity god of gods and lord of lords and even just now in our worship time you have broken in as it were to this time space world i just had many of us in this room just had a touch and a taste of eternity as we encounter your glorious spirit and it is a beautiful thing Lord, you are an awesome and great God, and I thank you for your tenderness and your compassion and your loving hand upon us today. We thank you for your word that brings life, liberty, comfort, kindness and freedom to your people. And we are open to you this morning in Jesus' incredible name. The good teacher is here sitting with us in this place. And so we open ourselves to you in Jesus' name. Come on. Amen. Oh, you're all here. Great. Ladies and gentlemen, would you put your hands together and welcome a long-term friend of mine who not many of you will know, but his name's Kevin Hardy. Put your hands together. I'm going to have a chat with Kevin today. Come here, my friend. G'day, mate. Hello, mate. Kevin and Kristen and Jay and I have known each other for over 20 years. Thank you, darling in fact i was we both at our homes this week have been trying for hours digging through our old photographs (laughs) like handheld ones to find a photo of kevin holding a little baby jesse james on his chest uh during home group we used to run a home group before we planted our church before before we came down here to victor harbour 18 years ago Mm. and uh kevin and kristen hosted that uh, home group in their house. So we have a long 20-something year history. Mm. uh, Controversial as it might sound. I married their daughter, okay? (laughs) No, they're not my (laughs) in-laws. But I I married their daughter on the day where Kevin, just to try to uh, unnerve his daughter, brought out a PEZ dispenser and put it next (laughs) to her. And... (laughs) <laughs> Seinfeld fans will understand that. There it is. All right. Yeah. So Kevin is an avid Seinfeld fan. Many one of the many many things we have in common. Before I uh, just introduce Kevin and why I've asked him to be part of my conversation today, uh, Kev actually had a scripture that he felt the Holy Spirit lay in his heart yeah. for a second. I briefly did, share that.
0: Thank you. Um, firstly, can I just honour um, Chad and Jay? Um, the Lord's all about relationship, hey, and um, we've got a great relationship. We don't see these guys often, but every time we catch up, it's like. Back in the home group. And uh, you've got an amazing church here, you've got amazing leaders here. I spent a little bit of time with um, some of your other leaders. So uh, just want to commend you. We love the church in Adelaide. Um, We're one body, different expressions across um, South Australia, and this is one of them. And and you've got a beautiful, Chris and I I believe, got an inheritance in this region, and you guys are part of it. Malcolm Munro, I loved listening to you sing again, mate. One of the things I missed. um, from you know the time that you come down here, you've got an amazing voice, and your worship team is incredible. So thank you very much. Um, yes, as Chad said, very quick um, shout out to Beck and Max, and my little grandchildren Eva and Audrey who are watching. Um, so I thought I'd better get their names out there, otherwise Pa won't be the favourite Par anymore. <laughs> Yeah, I was just this morning just uh, with the Lord, and I felt him put this on my heart, and it's come up already. um, So it's out of Ephesians um, chapter 3, and Paul, in his letter to the church of um, Ephesus, and he says, I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given me through the working of his power. Although I am less than the least of all God's people, this grace was given me to preach to the Gentiles, the Gentiles, the unsearchable riches of Christ and to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery which for ages past was kept hidden in God who created all things. His intent was that now through the church the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms according to his eternal purpose which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. In him and through faith in him we may approach God with freedom and confidence. And uh, the church, you know, this, the world's getting darker. What everyone's going through at the moment is pretty hectic. But the, uh, this is our time to shine. So, uh, and, and this is the Lord's way. He does it. As Chad said earlier, wherever he puts us in our work, whatever we're doing, um, that's how he takes the light of Christ into the world. Amen. Awesome.
1: And that's a great place to start because I know I'm really hoping that we end there today talking about how Amen. each of our professions or each of our mm. career paths or whatever it's always an opportunity for ministry when i stand up here with the bible and i've got my preacher or teacher hat on that's no more ministry than what other pe- people do absolutely. in their seven day a week five day a week jobs and vocations absolutely and i'm really hoping that that kind of comes out today cool. so the, one of the reasons i've invited kev to um to in, have this conversation together today is because kevin for the last 21 years has uh, been working essentially in the palliative care industry, mm. so caring for people during the process of uh, end-of-life care, essentially, is how you describe it. Yeah. You've worked in the acute setting, which is basically hospitals Hosh- and hospice, hospice, hospice environments. Yeah. You started uh, there on uh, Goodwood Road at the Repat. Uh, you've worked in community end-of-life care in people's homes. You've done that here in Victor Harbour for a couple yeah. of years, serving people in our community in their homes yeah. uh, in the process of end-of-life uh care, you worked for RDNS, many people are familiar with that, you managed projects in SA Health, Country Health, owned and operated your own palliative care, nursing stu- service, looked after 30 plus something staff, looking after people in homes and you work for the Southern Flare Health Service providing community based care for people in our own community. So in that 21 something years uh, Kev's had quite a lot of varied experience in this industry which is kind of unique for someone in his industry but I want you to just tell us quickly where did it all begin with you? where where did you get an interest in end-of-life care for people how did it start
0: thanks chad um yeah well it um it was more um it chose me rather than me choose uh, nursing and um so just a brief um, uh, context behind that Uh, my father um, back in 1993 uh, was diagnosed with cancer his larynx at the time, Chris and I were working. We had a video shop in Halleck Cove, and I Do remember. Do you remember that. those? Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the video yeah. shop. Yeah. Well, hello. <laughs> I was born in nineteen sixty. Everyone, so that, that just might uh, help. Uh, some of the things I say probably will be a bit aged. Um, yeah. So uh, I got a call on a Friday night um, in early September 93, it was dad to say that he'd uh, been having some trouble and he was diagnosed with cancer and that he was going to have radical surgery on the Monday. I was remembering this morning that I was just about to um, go to Melbourne to watch the Crows first final, so talking about history, that was when the Crows used to win football. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> so they were good days <laughs> and um, so I went there, saw us beat Hawthorne, come back, but so it gave me just a couple of days. and. And my father and I, although we were nowhere near estranged, we didn't have what I would call a close you know, father-son relationship. And, and those relationships can be challenging sometimes. But I come back, I think Dad had the surgery. If it wasn't the Monday, it was the Tuesday. And I remember um, seeing him come out of the theatre, you know, pretty significant wound from radical surgery. And there was something in me then. And, and, and just some more context, I wasn't um, a Christian then, so I wasn't uh, walking with the Lord then. But there was something in me that just—I knew that I was going to see Dad through from there to however long he had left in life. And he said to me that, you know, once they remove the larynx, that this should be the end of his cancer. They'll give him a bit of radiotherapy if this was a little bit spread. So I was—he was expecting that he was going to live, you know, a a reasonable life. But from the time of diagnosis to the time he died was only a period of two years. Um, So had the surgery, and. he lived for a couple of years, but it wasn't great quality of life. He, he had a bit of time. He he, he tried to do some things that he wanted to do, but that led to um, around July '95, and um, in that time we saw some deterioration. And we were supporting him. And, and mum and dad had divorced ten years prior to that, so he lived by himself, and we were just supporting him. I've got two brothers, obviously. Chris was very supportive at the time. We had him in our, to- in our home for a little while. just going to grab a mouthful of water. So you really be-
1: started caring for him with no experience or training? None. You were thrown as a, as a son, yeah. as a family member.
0: That's right. And a lot of that was just taking him to appointments, taking him to you know doctor's appointments, radiotherapy and things like that. And, and, and even that, the radiotherapy didn't go well. I don't want to d- dwell on the negatives, but it was a really challenging time for him. Um, and essentially he was left with no voice, so... That was interesting in the period that, uh, that I'm going to talk about in a little while, um, where he couldn't really communicate, as we're talking now, he could really whisper. Um, and that's all um, we could get because of the prosthesis didn't work. But anyway, Chris said to me, when it was obviously that he was deteriorating and he was going to need some people, you know, someone in his home um, so that he was safe, you know, he said, look, I think you should move in with your dad. Um, at that time we'd sold the video shop in that from 93 to 95 we had it we would sold the video shop I was mowing lawns with my brother-in-law um, just uh, you know transition period about I didn't know what I was going to do actually uh, which is interesting and so I moved in with dad and I remember one morning seeing him take his medication and I just knew intuitively that um, he wasn't going get to get out of bed anymore I thought that he's going to you won't physically be able to get out of bed anymore. And um, so your family, he, he had um, a big family, siblings, had about seven, I think. So people were coming and going, had a lot of friends that were coming and going. And they came to me, my brothers came to me, an older brother, younger brother, and said, look, we can't do this. I think we need to get on to someone and get Dad into hospice. And um, I was the chosen son to go and deliver that news to him. So I went into his bedroom, I remember very clearly saying, Dad, you know, uh, everyone's talking and thing is obviously you're not gonna be able to get out of bed anymore. We don't know what we what looks like from here. And we think you should go to hospice. And uh, he just looked at me very clearly and said, um, that's all good and, you know, good and fine for everyone. He said, but I've been in and out of hospitals so much in this period, I hate hospitals. I just wanna take my chances here at home. And it was so profound, I just looked at him and I thought, well, this is the last, however, weeks, months, we didn't know how long it was gonna be of your life. And you should have that choice, you know. So that's, um, that was important to me. So I walked outside and everyone's there, so what's happening? I'm there. He's staying here. And, uh, and then Kristen's sister, who's a midwife, and um, she had heard someone that's been through a similar experience. She put us onto a nursing service that was going to help us with the actual nursing, because um, they had no skills, quality, uh, qualifications or anything. So they would come every day, and the, the rest, you know, they'd come for an hour or so every day and the rest of it was left up to myself, and my younger brother moved in with me. My older brother um, lived fairly close by, so it's really interesting, like um, uh, a dad, three lads, um, looking, trying to look after their dad, and he was dying, so um, amazing experience, which we can chat a bit more about in a minute.
1: Well, part of that amazing experience is that you're not only caring for your dad, as this is happening, but at the same time you start having spiritual encounters. Like you said, you're not a Christian at this time. Mm -hmm. You're not... Spiritual encounters were not a normal part of your life. No. And suddenly, when Mm -hmm. you're in the room with your dad, you hear a voice, something happened in the backyard. Why don't you just give us one... Tell us something about a spiritual journey or a spiritual encounter that you had at that time.
0: Yeah. Um, Yeah. Give me some context about how, how many minutes I I, like, I just don't want to go... Because it's a long story as I, and That's I don't, right. don't want to take too much of the time. I want to spend most
1: up. of our time talking about lessons you've learned. Yeah, yeah, sure. So yeah. Have,
0: just... Uh, I can b- make it very brief. Yeah, do that. So... Um, We've been practising
1: for weeks, <laughs> as you
0: can tell. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I can talk for hours about this <laughs> stuff, so... And I know we haven't got that, but... Um, so talk the us long, to death. The, the longer, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> The long and the short of it was that... Uh, uh, very close, it was getting closer to Dad's um, uh, death and um, uh, I spent an evening and then a morning and I had what I can only describe as a supernatural encounter with, at the time, I wasn't 100% sure what was going on because no context, but I believe um, an angel of the Lord spoke to me. I didn't see uh, an angel. But I had, uh, you know, what is biblical, uh, an inward audible voice that my life was an open book. And whilst I didn't, I wasn't a Christian. I didn't have a um, relationship with the Lord. I believed in God. I'd always believed in God. I'd been to Sunday school, you know, for 12, 18 months. My mother was um, is a Christian. My dad wasn't. And um, so, yeah, I had this in the backyard of my dad's um, uh, yard. I had an encounter with, I believe, uh, God speaking to me through an angel and out of that was a calling to nursing, like an opportunity, and it wasn't, this is what you're doing, the Lord is a gracious God, and he's a um, gentleman. But I knew that there was an invitation to um, do this work, and I hadn't even looked at myself as being a nurse or nursing my father. I was just there helping dad. It was pretty hectic, a lot of stuff that we were doing. It was um, all those years ago now, and so things were very different in terms of how you cared for people compared to how you care for them now. Um, but we were doing a lot of that. and But yeah, I, and I remember laughing hysterically when I felt this call to do nursing, and it was specific, it was palliative care nursing, and it was specific about working in the community. And I just, just shaking my head, I said, there's no way, no not, not for a millisecond of my life that I thought I could nurse or be a nurse. I hadn't had a tertiary education, I, year 11, I went and got a job back in the 70s, it's easy to get a job. So yeah, when he died, I knew somehow I was going to end up working in palliative care and that put me on a journey and part of that was a spiritual journey, um, um, searching for that connection which was the Lord Um, and I got asked to a church context that Chris and I got asked to by a hairdresser, Coastlands, uh, you know, in a church.
1: You actually got invited to come to a Child yeah. baby dedication, that's service, right. which is something that we also encourage yeah. here. Yeah, and uh, I mean, you, after I wasn't too
0: keen on going, I can tell you. No, no, <laughs>
1: well, you investigated a bit of new age stuff and Buddhism yeah. after those encounters, and that's your right. spiritual radar was kind of up. Yeah, and ended yeah. up coming to church. Very similar. You actually joined at uh, Came of Coastlands mm. exactly the same preaching series that's that right. I did. Yeah, uh, when so we, we basically connected in the same time, September 95, 6, 7. Six, yeah, 97. Um, yeah. When Rob was doing a series on how does how, God speak to yeah. you? How does God guide you? And yeah. I, I remember it distinctly, and you, yeah. you you were part of that journey as well. Yeah.
0: So, um, so very soon after that, that was, um, yeah, for me, it was the end of 97. Um, again, the crows have just won a flag. Good times. The yeah. back to back <laughs> years. The, yeah. And, um, <laughs> and then I, I, I knew um, beginning of 98 that. Um, I needed to put my life in the in the Lord's hands, so um, receive Jesus as my uh, Lord and Saviour, and, and and all of this, what we talk about today, honestly, the, this is no false humility. Everything that we talk about, everything that the Lord's done in and through me, is all glory and praise to Him. Because yeah. um, I said to Chad when we were talking about this, I still feel like a like a counterfeit or a nurse. I don't I don't see myself as a nurse, as weird as that might sound. Um, I know who Kevin was mowing lawns, in the, you know, back in the in the 95 and i know who i am now and it's all through um him working in and through me i just praise him so it was a pivotal point in
1: many areas you, you ended up losing your dad i mean during that during that time so he did pass yeah died uh, died reconciled with mum during that period in yeah the, in some yeah kind amazing. Of way. Yep. you then started university did a bachelor of nursing living on os study while kristen was supporting the family your Good first times. job was at <laughs> uh, an old dog that learned new tricks i understand i come from a family where that happened as well your first job was at door
0: park or house, door house, house yeah. where you
1: worked I remember you working there since then you've had nine jobs in mm. 21 years mm. what have you what are some of the big things that you've learnt? what would you like people because mm. I mean some families I come from a family at least one side of my family well yeah I come from a family where talking about death and dying is actually fairly normal yeah. but I know as a pastor mm. it's not normal for a lot of people particularly mm. when it comes to funeral time or whatever people mm. are like I don't know we've never talked about it but what are some of the lessons that you've learnt in mm. your in this career
0: yeah First and foremost, I've really I have learnt that um, you know dying is a natural part of life. Um, we all we are all going to face it. No one escapes it. Um, I've learned it's different for everyone as well. Um, there's you know you can have the same uh, the people with similar diseases and the experience is very different for both of them. And I think that comes back to the uniqueness of all you know who we are, who, the, uniquely um, how how God's made us. Um, I've also learnt that you, you see some amazing things come out of that period of someone's life. Um, there can be reconciliation within families. Um, there, can, there can be, yeah, just that washing away of everything that doesn't matter in life and brings it to a focus about what's important to me now. And, and, of course, as a Christian, you know, an important thing for me is about what you said about that relationship with the Lord, we, you know, getting that right. Um, also learnt that it, people were really fearful around death and, um, and it, it's not something... If you, At the moment, there's a big debate right across Australia about the euthanasia. We know that euthanasia has been legalised in Victoria and it will most likely come to every state. And you will hear every horror story going around about what the end of life looks like. And that's the thing that challenged me the most, because it's not like that. It is a very, some of those stories that you hear, if I hear one more politician talk about how their mum or dad had died, politicians aren't the only one that lose um, siblings and, and mums and dads, we all do. Um, and you always hear the horror stories. I had an opportunity to um, speak into um, a parliamentary committee on end of life choices, which is about the euthanasia debate and I was just reading stuff before I went in, and it's like horror, 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 and it's not like that, and that's the biggest thing that I've learnt. Death can be very peaceful. Death isn't always... I have never seen, I say this before the Lord, I've never seen someone right before they're dying um, in absolute agony writhing around in the bed like you'll hear and read in the coming months and, and years when we talk about this. Um, and, and people say, but... You know, we can't palliative care hasn't got all the answers, and that's true, but it's far removed from what you hear. So, I, I just want to impart that um, it's not as hectic as what everyone talks about. Um, yeah, and, and you see communities come together, you see families come together. Um, most of them, or you see the love and the mercy of our Lord and Saviour in action. You know, and we can talk about some of those experiences. I know now is the right time. There's a couple well, of examples here. Yeah. Yeah. So, I
1: mean, you've been here in Victor, and what's some of the great stories you've had bedside with with people?
0: And again, this is where I've seen that the Lord's mercies that are new every day. But um, I remembered a couple of occasions that I was thinking about this morning that are really just demonstration of His power and how He orchestrates things. I recall um, I wasn't feeling particularly well. Community nursing. I was going to go to turn around, go back to the office, and go home. And as I did that, I felt the Holy Spirit just clearly say to me, just um, put on my heart this man that, as it turned out, was a, a, a friend of my dad who he worked with in Chrysler's. And the Lord said, go and see him, like, now. And uh, I thought, Lord, I'm not feeling that good. But it, so I turned the car around. He was, he was living in an aged care facility. Uh, went up, introduced myself. He was someone that uh, was on our, our books, so it wasn't just a random cold call. But I hadn't met him before. So introduce myself. And as soon as I started talking, about it, and I love this, it's, I can't go into any room and get anyone saved. That's not what I can do. What I can do is be obedient to the Holy Spirit that's in me. And when the Holy Spirit is talking to you, that's when you'll see salvation, because salvation belongs to the Lord. And this was a perfect example. As soon as I started to speak to him, it's like the Lord just gave me the words. He was... Um, overwhelmed with um, emotion and tears and so I spoke to him and, and he was cl- close to death but um, so I then had opportunity just to you know just to encourage him to to make that decision and, and the choice to to put his life in the Lord's hand so that sort of experience there was another one I was being involved with a lady that was work, uh, living up in the southern suburbs of Adelaide and I knew I was, I'd had her on my heart really strongly in this week and I knew every time I went into the home the home was full of people. She was only a young woman, probably in her forties, siblings around her. Her mother was a bedside vigil sitting next to her. And on there, ha- she wouldn't leave. She would not leave the home and wouldn't leave the, the bedside. And on there, Lord, I know you want me to, to you know to talk to this woman. How how is this ever gonna happen? And there's a sensitivity around. It's not a, an embarrassment, it's a sensitivity around sharing the, the, the gospel at this you know time of life. Anyway, I thought, okay, I'm going this day. I walked into the, her lounge room where the hospital bed was set up and everything was set up. And um, just thinking about what I was going to do, all of a sudden I turned around and the, the room was empty. It was like people just started to go and someone said, Mum, we are taking you home. Even if it's for 10 minutes, you have to go home. And, and so all of a sudden the Lord has just orchestrated this me and, and this woman. And again, opportunity just to, to witness to her and speak to her. And um, yeah, so that's when I talk about the Lord's mercies. He just—he he desires for all to be saved and he gives people opportunity and he uses people like me and wherever you are, you know, to, to do those and, things.
1: And while you said before that the Lord is giving you the right words to say to someone at the moment, can you just give us an example of, of what it might sound like? Is it two sentences? How long do you speak to someone
0: squeeze yeah. your hand or just give us yeah. some type of example of what I mean, words you actually use. Even as I was just sitting here right now, I remember Christian's grandfather uh, who was 101. And um, and I'd spoken to him some months earlier about, I, I believed he was a Christian, and um, I said to him one day, uh, uh, Grandpa, you know, uh, something about uh, peace with the Lord and you got that. And he said, I don't know, you'd have to ask him. And it was just something went, oh... That doesn't seem right. But anyway, he was dying in an aged care facility. He was 101. People said, you know, why don't you go and talk to Grandpa? So he set up an opportunity for me to then go speak, speak to him directly about, you know, like we had this conversation. I remember you said when I asked if you've got a peace with the Lord, uh, you'd made, and you said you don't know, you know, you'd have to ask him. And I said, you know, it's our choice and our decision. So it's, there's no specific... I haven't got a formula it's not like that, it's not a formula, I don't go in there with, oh, if I say this and say this, it's just um, being sensitive and letting, yeah, I, probably there's nothing I can remember off the top of my head oh. per se, but it's certainly, I know that when he is moving through the spirit that's, that's in me and in all of us, um, he just opens up those conversations. And how, yeah. how
1: many people do you expect to meet one day that will come up to you and say, remember on my deathbed? I don't know, Chad.
0: I, honestly, More than a dozen? Oh, yeah, yeah. More yeah, than yeah. 30? Yeah.
1: You've led more than 50 people to the Lord on their deathbeds? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Mm. So that's that's powerful. Mm. Help help us to know. Many of us will be in a situation sometime where it's family members, we are there with a family member mm. in the process. They haven't gone as quick as you know, I did there's an ideal way, we'd like all like to go kind of quick, and some of us had those yeah. stories even recently. Mm. Um, when that when the process of dying's longer, yeah. give us some advice as family members. What what would the nursing community like us as family to know about mm. bedside manner or,
0: yeah, I think it's that reassurance. Um, and again, this is, you know, this does come up in in my work. It's about reassurance that um, none of us know when our time. Is up you know and there's a lot of um, misconceptions about the use of um, certain medications that we use in palliative care that if we keep increasing then they're going to die quicker like my dad lived for the best part of two weeks without any nutrition and without any hydration because the Lord wanted him to be there while he was working in me and while I pray he was working in my dad and I'm sure he was I don't know that but um, that's my heart's belief but um, so it's different for everyone. So I, I, we've, it's just about being, being there, listening, first and foremost. That's the main thing, rather doing less talking and more listening um, and just trying to comfort them in, in, um, around the, the fact that this is different for everyone um, and some people take a long time. Um, and that can be... And this is the great mystery for me, the thing that intrigues me as a palliative care nurse. The time between... Not being able to communicate and being semi-conscious, if that's the right word, to dying. I believe that's probably where the Lord does his his greatest work in that realm, which none of us know what that looks like. Um, That's what I believe. So even though we might have relatives that that may have died and we think, um, I'm not sure if they knew the Lord, you know... The Lord is faithful to your prayers and everything as well. So if you've got someone that's in that situation, the most powerful thing is to pray for them and to continue to pray the Lord, he's that. And we don't know what his angels are doing. We don't know what's happening in that. There's, a, there's I'm sure there's a battle and you can see that and there's a thing in um, uh, when people are getting close to lo- end of life called terminal restlessness and uh, all sorts of clinicians and doctors and nurses uh, will have a framework around what that is and they might say it's... Um, all sorts of things, physiological things and I'm certain there's there's some elements of that but I, in myself I think there's a a real spiritual component component to that terminal restlessness, I think it is a a battle for someone's spirit, our spirit knows what we want, our spirit knows we want to have a right relationship with the Lord Um, and so it can be that battle from the spirit to the mind and I think that's where a lot of that restlessness can come and I'm not saying that you know, I've nursed um, believers and they've just been Call, come and collect it and say, you know, take me. But so that's, but I, I certainly see a rest of the And There's sometimes I'm looking after someone and I know it's going to be a difficult death through the time that I've had with them while they've been well. Um, and you just know that this is going to be a difficult death. And, and sort of eight times out of ten, that's what it looks like. And when you talk to our colleagues and when they're saying they're experiencing this and that on there, well, I'm not surprised. So there's also a saying about that you die how you've lived. So we get involved with people, sometimes for a very short period of time. Like, you know, we had someone last week that we got a referral on a Thursday and they died Friday night. So sometimes you've got a couple of days, sometimes you've got a couple of months, sometimes you might have six months. So those relationships that you develop through the period leading up to that are very important for us as clinicians to get an understanding of what family and support's like for them, but also, most importantly, the patient. And trying to unravel some of that before you get to that real point in. I think that's interesting. And we often, part of our job, we talk about being, you know, the physical, the emotional, the spiritual, um, you know, the holistic care, and that rolls off the tongue. <laughs> Sorry, Lord. <laughs> Just a sobering moment for myself.
1: <laughs> I could have raised the dead, I think. <laughs> or sent
0: some of us there. Um, so I just, I did lose my train of thought. Of it it was, I think it was an important point I was about yeah. to make.
1: Sure. Certainly roles, the, spirit, the holistic approach. The holistic the approach. Yeah.
0: And, we say, and then if I'm, particularly when I was working with the government, when I was working with the public sector, um, some of you will get challenged, you know, when you're talking to people about their beliefs and their, um, do they have any spirituality, do, do they have any faith. And sometimes that gets challenged, you know, you've got to be mindful and go, well, actually, if we're talking about someone's spiritual care, isn't that a reasonable question to ask? Is it important that if you have a Catholic faith that you want a minister to come and give you a, the blessing of the, the sick? And um, if, you're a, you know, if you're a Buddhist, what does that mean for your spirituality? If you, you know, um, Islam's your faith, what does that mean? So... As a Christian, I think it's a reasonable thing for us to say. And, that, and that's the question that i often start with if you're getting back to what um, one of the things, how I would go about introducing that into a conversation. It's just part of um, that assessment and part of what we do every day. You know, Have you got any faith? Is that important to you? Is there something that we need to be aware of? And some people might say, like, my dad did. No, no, look, when you're dead, you're dead. Um, and so that, yeah, that, that's one of the things that generates more conversation around that. Yeah. yeah. Mm.
1: Okay. And what is it? This maybe an odd question. Do you enjoy your work?
0: I love my work. I <laughs> absolutely and what, love my what work. what is it
1: that's most fulfilling for you? What is it that's most <sighs> enjoyable, fulfilling, mm. satisfying? Why do you get up and are looking forward to going?
0: You know, at your... the very core of it all is the opportunity to care for someone, um... And also, obviously, as a Christian, to show the love of Christ that's in me to them. That's the first, that's the most critical thing. Um, It's such a privilege, it is such a profound privilege to be involved um, with caring for someone at that point in their life. And I never take that lightly. With all the different areas that I've worked in, there's always politics around it in in your workplace. But I say to Chris often, when I walk into someone's home for the first time, I walk into a room for the first time and meet someone, that at the core of what I do is what I love. Because then you're taking your light Christ, into that situation and doing your best to show the love of Christ to them. And he loves people incredibly. So that's the most rewarding thing, most satisfying thing that I get to do that, um, you know, pretty much on a day. And not just to the patients, their families, to my colleagues, to take a bit of light, a lot of light into this dark world. And and, um, uh, yeah, so caring, demonstration of God's love to people. And you get all sorts, um, people that want to headbutt you, people that want you to get out of their room and... Um, people that just want to open their arms. And, you know, even I went into an aged care facility in Bury in the Riverland um, last week, Tuesday, with a colleague of mine and he was off seeing someone and I looked around this um, sort of lounge room and there's people in their, you know, the cloud chairs, they call them. And I just looked at this lady and with the dementia. But you could see, as soon as their eyes caught each other, she just looked and put her hand out, you know. So for me, that's not I want to speak to this dude, it's like the love of Christ in this guy and they can recognise that. So I just went over, grabbed her hand and just started talking to her about her life and now she's got dementia. If I asked her what day it was today, she wouldn't have known. But I said, how long have you lived in Berry? Why did you come to Bury? Um, what did you do? You're a farmer. What is your farm? You know, like, it's just simple conversation and for five minutes of that day, someone took the time to go and love on her you know it's as simple as that now she wasn't dying but there's a lot of um, lonely people out there a lot of vulnerable people out there a lot of sick people and obviously dying people and for us as Christians to get an opportunity to share that wherever we are is incredible privilege and it's what every time I wake up and I'm still breathing I know the Lord's not finished with me yet and I um, you know I've got to say Hannah I won't give the lily but Nine times out of ten, I'm very happy to get up, have a shower, and get off to work. I love, love my work. And, um, and again, the Lord's grace is amazing too, Chad. Hey, that His grace, for me personally, I've experienced His grace, incredible grace, through university. Kristen, the first assignment that I, I wrote, I remember her looking at it and said, Have you ever heard of a joining word? <laughs> like, it was like reading Dick and Dora, she said. And, and I'm yeah, I know, this is going to be hectic. Like, I was sitting in a classroom didn't know what I was going to do but the Lord knew what he wanted me to do he's given me the grace to do that and he's just continued to open doors some doors that I haven't gone through and I'll just go around a little desert for a little period of time and then the door will still be open and he'll lead me so he's gracious to me has been incredibly gracious and and that's what gives me the capacity that's why I love it and I don't get tired and burnt out because it's something that he has put in me it's a gifting that he has put in me it hasn't me um, going I'm awesome and I can do this. Because if it was, I'm awesome and I can do this, I would have lasted about, I don't know, one shift. <laughs> and I would have been done. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And, and all of us, and to, back to the point where we started, we'll finish where we started, we, all of us, can have that same confidence in our, whatever yeah. workplace we are Absolutely, in. Absolutely. Ch- and you take your job as your ministry, yeah. as your the yeah. day-by-day ministry, as much as seriously as I do mine when I do this kind of stuff.
0: Absolutely, yeah. yeah. And a, again, a big lesson for me... Um, when I first got involved in church, and it was a big church um, that we we, we both went. I, I love that church. Um, I'll be forever grateful for that church. Um, and but I know at some point of time there was an aspiration of for me to go. Oh, I'd like to be this or that in the church. Well, we, the body of Christ, is out there. Mm-hmm. You know, look how many people are here today, and praise the Lord for every one of you. But there's not the masses coming into the buildings it's the Lord's chosen ones going out you know Matthew 28 says go out yeah. Yeah. you know go out into Goolwa. go out to Normanville Chris and I went out today we come to Victor Harbour because this is important this is everyone has a ministry wherever the Lord's got us and while you're waking up and taking that first breath say, so praise God and what do you want me to do today yeah.
1: Yeah. Mm. awesome and to that we said amen, amen. amen. Mm. very good I want to, um, yeah. want to thank Kevin. Thank you, I, uh, I'm going to invite Malcolm and and the team to come. But also, we just want to ask Ellie a question. Why don't you come here, Ellie? No, not Ellie. Crystal. I'm looking over. I'm looking over <laughs> Ellie's shoulder to Crystal. <laughs> um, Crystal's been in care work for. She's got a few years' experience, but has just started a job this year uh, at the, the Southern Cross nursing care, came up with a great idea a couple of weeks ago and spoke to your boss. Tell us about that. Uh, So we've had quite a few people that uh, die without anyone in the room and it's really heartbreaking for any reason. The family can't be there or the nurse. We've got so many residents that we need to look after um, and it didn't sit right with me. So the Lord put on my heart um, a new program called Sitting Angels um, and I've got my boss's blessing, and it's for end-of-life volunteers. So if you would like to come and see me after, I can tell you a bit more about it. And it's just sitting in their bedroom and being comfort, and, yeah, while they die. So, yes.
0: Thanks, Charlene. Awesome. Thank you. Awesome. How is that? Mm, you know, it's amazing. Um, yeah, I, I just... Oh, I don't know, might not be the forum. No, I'll, I'll talk about that later. Yeah.
1: Thank you for serving our community because not only have you... You've worked in Adelaide, as I said before, but you have comforted people here in Victor Harbor, Port Elliot Middleton, Goolwood for a couple of years. you sat with people in our community mm. at End of Life mm. and I want to thank you for that. There's a few, you, few reasons to invite you today. One is to segue out of that, that series of talking about... I wanted to have an illustration of ha- have being a hero in your workplace Thanks, and, and your where god has called you to be uh and bring a, a grounding a reality whether you own and run a cafe whether you work in a school whatever job it is that you Amen. have uh you be a hero in your workplace that is your ministry field so to speak Amen. and uh so a particular highlight today for those of you who work in care but mm. uh, i really wanted to highlight that Thanks, and also to highlight as i said at the start the importance of Uh, we as a church family looking and speaking about serious issues because certainly from our perspective Chad and Malcolm uh, particularly as we help people in our church family with end of life we want to know that these conversations and discussions have been had and thought through and chatted about as best as possible with a family and uh, it really matters to us I've sat with a number of people and even just now I'm looking at empty chair areas and, mm. and remembering people particularly in, even in this last 12 months yeah. we've had uh, a number of people here that have lost family members and uh, this is a, 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 a part of life that we will all negotiate That's right. and I think we can do it well uh, and some of that just takes a little bit of preparation
0: yeah.
1: uh, to accept the fact that this is this is something we were facing to do it well. Mm. Um, do you mind praying for us mate?
0: I'd and, love to. Uh, yeah?
1: Yeah. yeah big, why don't you stand to your feet? Guys, thank you so mm. much.
0: Oh, thank you, Father. First and foremost, Lord, we just set our gaze on you. We set the throne before us. Father, I thank you for your precious son, Jesus, that, that went to the cross for each and every one of us and dealt with so much of the cross for us, Lord. Your word says that you took up every infirmity, every infirmity, everyone and dealt with it at the cross. So we thank you for that, Lord. I just thank you for this beautiful church, Lord, this church that meets in this amazing part of South Australia. It's so tender and so precious to me, Lord, this this area. But I just want to pray, Father, for those that have a heart for others, I think we all do, that you would just begin to highlight more and more what that looks like for each individual, whether it's just a simple, loving, kind word to a family member, a friend, someone in the supermarket, whatever the expression of your love is in any given time, Lord, let us... Um, just light that up for each and every one of us today, Lord. Father, I just pray for your incredible blessing um, over this ministry that, uh, that Crystal has on her heart. Lord, I pray that you would just uh, water that seed that's there. There's no rush with that. There's never any rush in something that you're doing, Lord. We just need to wait on you and let you do what you want to do because then it'll be amazing. So I just pray for favor on that seed, Lord, and that you would continue to water it and you would bring along the right people, Lord. And yeah, I just pray for just an amazing blessing over this beautiful church. Thank you for Chad and Jay, their kids, Lord. For Jesse, Lord, for Ebony, Lord, for Charlie and Zoe, Lord. Thank you for Jesse that was on my tummy all those years ago. It was a bit bigger than it was Is now. Thank you. And um, yeah, just pray for a great day for him tomorrow. And just an amazing blessing on this body of Christ. In your precious name, amen. Thank you, Lord. I hope you've enjoyed today's message.
1: Remember to check us out at baysidechurch.org.au. And of course, if you're ever in the area, please pop in and say good day.